It's a gift that we get to connect with you for another Sunday. I'm Chad Bowen, and I'm the pastor of Moore Memorial, United Methodist Church in downtown Winona. I hope that you enjoyed Sam's sermon last week as he challenged us to remember that there's more than one way to be lost, and that God has come to seek and save all of us who are lost. And I hope that you'll hold Sam and all of the young men and women that God continues to call to use their gifts to serve the church in prayer. Our fight against COVID is far from over. I know we're all tired of the ways it has limited our lives and even restricted us in worship, but I pray that you're continuing to check in on one another, especially those who can't come to worship right now, and care for one another. And I pray daily that God will give each of us the strength that we need for each day until we round the corner. This week's sermon continues our series on worship. In previous weeks, we've talked about worship in a big picture kind of way. How our first task as humans is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, and how in the midst of that relationship we're equipped to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And how we're called to worship God because of that in all times and at all places. Even so, we've talked about how there's a particular calling for us to worship God together, at appointed times and appointed places, with others who are God's people. And for our worship to be structured in such a way that it shapes us to be faithful disciples of Jesus. We've talked about how the calendar of the church shapes our time and invites us to live in a different time than the world tells us to live in. We've talked about how we are gathered together as a community to worship, and that's a radical thing. Two weeks ago, we focused on how gathering reminds us that we are always on the move as the church. As Christians, we are a pilgrim people. We know that we have not yet arrived at our ultimate end, and we continue to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. This week, we continue to talk about gathering, but our focus is a little different. This week, we're going to look at how our practice of gathering together for worship reminds us of who we are as the church, those who are called to commune with God and with each other, that we are the body of Christ united by his Spirit. And communing with one another means that who we are in Christ overshadows everything else that divides us, because we are united with Christ. I pray that this message builds you up and encourages encourages you to long even more to be united with the community of faith, the body of Christ in the world. Amen. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All of us wake up oriented in different directions every day. There are front sleepers and back sleepers and side sleepers. Our heads are oriented north and south and east and west, and when we wake up, we move around in all different directions inside our houses. We back out of our driveways and head in different directions. It'd be fascinating to see where everyone from Winona goes on any random day. Certainly, I feel like people go to Jackson and Memphis and Starkville and Greenwood, but probably every day there are people from Winona flying all across the world and flying home. Every one of us lives our own life with our own path that pulls us in a thousand different directions. But we don't worship God as individuals headed in a thousand different directions, headed to different places. We worship God as one body. And as Christians, all of the things that pull us in different directions 
aren't the primary things that make us who we are. We belong to the Lord, and we belong to one another. But you know that I'm not just talking about geography here. We're pulled by our jobs, we're pulled by our familial relationships, by our families, we're pulled by our political convictions and allegiances, we're pulled by our cultural and racial identities, by our class identity, we're pulled by our sin and our shame, by the temptation to think too much of our own success and too little of God's extravagant grace for us, we're pulled by our frustrations about the world by our desires, our greed, our lust, our will for power. We're pulled in a thousand different directions. As we talked about gathering for the first time a couple of weeks ago, I told you that to gather is no neutral thing, and that we've experienced that some through the pandemic as we've been unable to gather together with all of our people in our usual places as we would like to do. It's no insignificant thing to gather because when we gather, we remember who we are. And two weeks ago, I told you that we remember that we are a people on the move, that we haven't yet arrived, that we are on a pilgrimage, that we are a pilgrim people that continue to move towards the kingdom of God. And this week, we're still talking about gathering, but from a different angle. When we gather, we remember who we are, Not just a pilgrim people, but a people that are united, that are unified as the body of Christ. The body of Christ has many different appendages, arms and legs. It has many different gifts and senses, just like our physical bodies have sight and sound and taste. The body has many different gifts. But one Lord, one faith, one baptism in one spirit. There's perhaps no time that the church needs to hear this message, to remember that we are, in fact, one body, than in an election year. Potentially, this time, the most divisive election that we've seen in my lifetime. In the middle of a pandemic, where there are widely variant opinions about what we ought to do, in the middle of tremendous racial tension, where there are a lot of opinions and a lot of stories and a lot of assumptions, but not a lot of compassion or empathy or kindness, where our nation is not experiencing solidarity. And in the church, there are people on all sides of all of these issues, So how in the world are we supposed to come together as one body? One body that spans all nations, all languages, all ethnic and racial identities. How can we come together when we disagree so strongly in terms of our political convictions? The truth is that we can't. At least not of our own power, not of our own will or desire, not of our own wisdom or cunning. We cannot do it. We can't do it, but God can in the person of Jesus Christ. That's his whole mission, after all, to teach us to love God and to love neighbor, to reconcile us to the one who made us and to the others who are made in his image, bringing us together to be who we were made to be was the whole goal, because when we're together, We can glorify God and enjoy Him forever. When we're together, we can worship. And only God can do it. 
only by his grace poured out to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And he did it all to reconcile us, to take the anger of the mob and the fear of those in power and absorb it into himself, the only thing in this world that could take all of humanity's vile hate and pain and horrific sin and alienation from God and turn it into life eternal. This is the power that God has in Jesus Christ to change the world. That means that when we gather, we must lay aside everything else that we think defines us. We've got to remember who we really are by the power of the grace of God at work in us, in ourselves, and in one another, so that we can do what we were made to do, so that we can give God all of the glory and honor and praise. And here we are halfway into the sermon, and I haven't gotten into the text yet. And there's a reason for that. Because I suspect that when you saw that we were talking about gathering again this week, you expected it to be a happy-go-lucky, isn't-it-all-nice-to-be-all-together kind of sermon. But if I take that tone, there's a real chance that you might miss that there are things threatening our capacity to be the church, to gather together and faithfully worship the Lord. Because the truth is that for some of us, Our political identity has become more foundational to who we think we are than who we are in Jesus Christ. I work really hard not to speak about partisan politics in my preaching. I'm not going to tell you ever whom you should vote for. But as more more and more of our world gets politicized and polarized, politics creates an ever-expanding list of things that the church ought not talk about. And this is not because the gospel doesn't have anything to say about those things. It's because we become less and less concerned about what the gospel has to say about these things than what we think about them already based on what we read in the mainstream media or social media. And we'd rather stick to those opinions that we formed from those sources than the gospel. So we'd rather dismiss or even get enraged at the preacher for talking about the gospel rather than to let our convictions get examined by Jesus himself. And part of the very nature of gathering as the body of Christ is letting every one of our commitments, every one of them get examined under the light of the gospel, under the judgment of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And then doing our best by his grace to act according to his will. So having said that, let's read our text from Ephesians 4 this morning. Let's pray as we prepare to hear God's word. Lord, we ask that you would shed your light upon our minds, that you would open our hearts and our ears to hear the word that you have for us today. Illumine us and our lives by the light of Jesus himself, we pray. Amen. Hear this word. This is Ephesians chapter 4, we'll read verses 1 through 16. I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, 
making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when, we, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until all of us come to the knowledge, to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. When we gather, we remember who we are. And who we are as a church is not first Americans, or Salvadorans, or Kenyans, or Koreans. And who we are as a church is not first Republicans, or Democrats, or Libertarians. Who we are first is sinners. Sinners who have been saved by grace and incorporated into the body of Christ by water that is thicker than blood in our baptism. Washed in the waters of baptism, washed white as snow in the blood of Jesus, healed by the wounds that he received for our transgressions. Over a sink in a monastic community is a sign, and it reads, Everybody wants a revolution. No one wants to do the dishes. Everyone wants a revolution. No one wants to do the dishes. Everyone wants to sway everyone to their way of thinking on social media or in cafe debates. But maybe the revolution starts differently. Maybe the revolution starts with the ordinary thing of gathering together with the people of God who may not look like us or act like us or think like us in any other way, but are, by the grace offered to us in baptism, part of the one body committed to the one thing, the building up of the body of Christ in love. To gather is a radical thing. And it's a deeply political thing for us to pledge our allegiance, our attention, our faith to Jesus over nation or party or family or class. I'm not saying that you can't be adamant about your political support. I am saying that your political support is less important than who you are with Jesus Christ and with his whole church. With his whole church. 
And I hope you see that in the passage that we just read from Ephesians. When we gather together, we do it with humility. We do it bearing in mind that we are sinners, that, and that is the baseline for the whole gospel, that we are fundamentally broken and deeply in need of the gracious and healing touch of the Lord. And without it, we're just left in our mess. So whenever you come to someone that you think is in the wrong, you come to someone who has been in the wrong over and over and over again. When we gather, we come with gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That language is just dripping with Paul's desire for us to be together. And Paul wouldn't have used such strong language. Unity, peace, love, every effort. If there weren't a sinful tendency among us to be driven apart and to tear ourselves apart. If it was easy to get along, we wouldn't need this kind of command. But we are one body, one spirit, with one hope in our one calling. Not multiple callings, one calling that all of us share. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father and God of all who is above all and through all and in all. Everything is infused with the presence and the power of God as we participate in it through our baptism. And this is why we do what we do when we gather. We come from a thousand different directions, north, south, east, and west, and we part even faced in different directions, and then we walk into one space where the pews and chairs leave us not all facing exactly the same direction on a compass, they're curved, but at the same area, an area that contains a cross and a table, and a pulpit, and a font. The things that bind us together. The word of God, the sacraments that initiate us into the life of the church and that sustain us as a pilgrim people, and the cross that started it all. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body all oriented towards the same thing. Our bodies, heading in a thousand directions, become focused in one direction. And then we begin to worship together. First with a tune, with a prelude as Theresa plays a melody and all of our hearts follow along. And then when we aren't limited by the coronavirus, we come together even further, our bodies begin to act in concert with one another. We stand together as we're able, or we sit, or sometimes we kneel. And as we move together, we begin to sense that maybe we really are one body. And then we join together in a call to worship spoken or sung, 
and our lips begin to move together, and our, our minds are aligned with the same words, and we begin to speak the same words about God, about faith, about who we are as the church. And we sing songs of praise because God deserves it, and that is what, what aligns our hearts together. And then, many weeks, we do something else. Many weeks, we confess. And the confession pops up at different points in the service, sometimes before the sermon and sometimes after the sermon. And frankly, some of that depends on whether or not I think that my preaching is going to lead you to need to repent differently after you've heard the sermon than maybe you would have before. In other words, when the confession comes after the sermon, you should know that I expect to step on some of your toes as I preach. And it's in our confession that we're humbled and strengthened. It's in confession that we live as the people that we are, sinners who are being redeemed by grace. We can't come in after a week of straying from the commands of God, of harming one another, of fighting and bickering with one another, and not address the elephant in the room. This isn't the way to live in peace and reconciled with one another. So instead we stop, and together we speak about the sins that we have committed, how we have failed to live as the people that God has called us to, how we have failed to love Him with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and failed to love our neighbor as ourself, and we humbly repent. And after we repent, we receive grace, and we offer grace. We speak words of grace to one another, words of forgiveness, words of pardon over what we have done, and then we offer one another peace. We acknowledge that whatever it is that has torn us apart over the last week is not as important as the gospel that we are about to hear, and so we offer one another peace. You may notice that uh, if we don't pray a prayer of confession at the beginning of the service, I don't call the time that we greet one another the passing of the peace. I call it the greeting. Because passing the peace fits in to a larger movement of confession to God and to one another, of receiving pardon from God, spoken to one another with, with the very words of God, and then offering peace to one another so that we can worship as one body. This movement, confession and pardon and peace, is the effort that we make in our worship to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace that Paul talks about here. And once we've gathered, once we've been united in body, in mind, in speech, then we are ready to fully worship God as the body of Christ and to hear what it is that God has to say to us. We're ready to bring all the gifts that we have and all of us have gifts. We're all being built up, equipped for ministry as the body of Christ. And all of our gifts are oriented towards one thing. Strengthening the body itself. Because that is our identity. That is our loyalty. That is who we are and who we long to be. So we must no longer be children. 
tossed back and forth by every opinion and every doctrine that comes our way, by every talking head that comes into our houses, by social media or television, by every article that's written in the newspaper, especially those people who have so little to do with the gospel. But we must, we must learn to speak the truth in love. Even when the world says that that truth is political, so that we can grow up into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament, every person, every gift, every direction that we are pulled in is equipped so that each part can properly promote the body's growth in building itself up in love. Gathering is not secondary to what we do in the rest of worship. It is radical It is profound and is a participation in the very thing that the gospel calls us into, to be united together with God and united with one another more than we are divided by everything that seeks to pull us apart. When we gather, we become what we are, the body of Christ. And that is a radical thing in the world that we're living in. It only happens by God's grace And it is for the good of God's people, all of God's people, always and everywhere. Amen. Thanks for joining us today and listening to the sermon from Moore Memorial UMC. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, check out our website or connect with us on Facebook. It's been wonderful to connect and reconnect with folks over the last few months in ways that wouldn't have been possible if we hadn't been able to engage you with worship online or on the radio. If you'd like to join us in person for worship, we would love to have you. We're meeting at 9 and 11 on Sunday mornings in our Family Life Center. And until you feel comfortable coming back, we continue to pray for you. If you'd like to give to support our ministries, you can mail a check to P.O. Box 467 in Winona. You can drop it by the church office during business hours, 
or you can give online. Just go to morememorialumc.com and click on the Give tab at the top. Now receive this blessing. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.